Amen. Amen. Thank you. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 this morning. I'm hoping my voice is going to hold out this morning. 78 days of preaching didn't get it, but four hours of yelling at the Argyle Eagles did. And I want to encourage them to repent for how they treated us. <laughs> John chapter 17. As followers of Christ, what is our relationship with the world? As people trying to live in the will of Christ in obedience, what is our role in the world? Do we hate the world that is set against Christ, or do we love it? Do we participate in the world that is working against Christ, or do we withdraw from it? It is an important question. What is our, as believers, relationship with the world? Today, I see believers and I see churches that are so much like the world that you can't tell them from it. Today, I see believers and I see churches that are so withdrawn from the world that you can't find them in it. Well, what are we to do with the world? That is our question today. Today in our verses, we're going to see what Christ desires, what Christ's desire is for us as believers in the world. Today, our message is entitled, Set Apart, Set Apart. Today, we're in John Chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. Set apart. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 13, Jesus is speaking. He says this, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We're thankful for this day. We're thankful for a Lord's Day, a day that we remember and celebrate a risen Savior a hope that is established, fixed in an empty tomb. Lord, I, I pray today as, as your people that, that we have been pleasing to you, that we are pleasing to you, that we come and that we bless you today. I pray that your worship today, I, I pray now that your name is exalted, that it is known. I, I pray as it goes out from here in our ears and the ears of those listening in other means, I pray, Lord, that your name is, is held high that your name is received, that you're glorified in the response. Lord, I pray on this Lord's Day, on this Sunday morning, uh, that it would truly be a, a marvelous event, not a normal event, not a, something we get to say we went to and, and went home and went back to our lives. 
but a supernatural event when our living God speaks through his living word. And I pray, Lord, that we would be changed again, that you'd be known. I pray for those that do not know you. And maybe many hearing today. I pray that in the hearing of the plan of God, the gospel of grace, that today may be the day of their salvation. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today's truth in our message is that God has a plan for us in the world. We are not just living random lives headed for a random end in some sort of random existence. No, God has deliberately placed us, each of us, for a deliberate purpose in his deliberate plan. And his plan is in the world, and that plan surrounds his word. Now, last night, if you remember, we saw his word is truth. And we spent the whole last night looking at those four words. What a great message for us to hear. His word is truth. Well, last night we saw that. Well, today we see that that truth has a twofold purpose in the life of a believer existing in the world. First, that truth does something to us. And then second, we are to do something with that truth. Now, let me say that again as a twofold purpose. First, the truth does something to us. Then we as believers, we are to do something with that truth. Now, let's go to our verses this morning. Remember the context. These verses in John chapter 17 are the record of Jesus' prayer right before his arrest and the events of the cross. In this prayer, we see not only the character of Christ and not only the heart of Christ, we also find in this prayer the plan of Christ. Very simply, as we would expect, he prays for his desires to be carried forward. And so as we listen in on the prayer and as we hear his desires voiced, from that, we can discern his plan. Now, so far in the prayer, he has prayed for the glory of the Father. He has prayed that he would be glorified, that he could in turn heap glory on the Father. Now, that will be done and known through him, but he tells us his goal is for the Father to be glorified. In this prayer, after that, he is found praying for his disciples. He says he's not praying for the world. He knows the hope of the world is these disciples. And so he prays for those who would carry forward his cause after his ascension back to heaven. Well, today we find him and he continues. Let's start this morning in verse 13. But now I come to you, he's praying, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus prays to the Father, now I come to you. Now again, this is talking about his ascension after the resurrection. He's going back to glory, going back to heaven. He says, now I come to you. 
And these things I speak in the world, so they, talking about the disciples, may have my joy made full in themselves. Now, what this means is Jesus has spoken certain things in the world for the hearing of the disciples, for the benefit of the disciples. That's what this means. He has been deliberate, and he has said certain things in the world for the hearing of the disciples, for the benefit of those disciples. Now, he tells us in the verse, the benefit is that they may have his joy overflowing in their life. Now, we've seen that word before. Again, it is filled up to overflowing. He says these things for the benefit that they would have joy overflowing in their life. Now, see this. God hasn't sentenced us to a life of drudgery. Some of us think that. God hasn't sentenced us to a life of drudgery. He hasn't assigned us some life of gloom and doom. No, his plan is that we would be overflowing with joy in his plan. Now listen, hear that again. His plan is that we would be overflowing with joy in his plan. Now, will there be hardships? Yes. Will we be hated? Yes. He tells us that. Will it be difficult? Absolutely, yes. But in it, we can be overflowing with joy. Now, what are those things that he has told them? He has said to them that he will die. He has said to them that he will live again. He has said to them that he will go to the Father. He has said to them that at that point, the Holy Spirit will come. He has told them they would be hated as disciples. And later, as they remember these things, as they remember that he said these things, and as those things come to pass one by one, then they will surely know Jesus has saved them. Jesus has defeated death. Jesus' words are true. Jesus' plan is trustworthy. When they see those things come to pass, they will know Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God. They will know their hope stands in Jesus. And knowing that, they will overflow with joy. And so you know what? They get a little bit down and they say, you know what? He did die and he was resurrected again and we saw him and he ascended to heaven and we saw that and the Holy Spirit came and we know that and now we're, we're hated by the world and they see that. As they see those things take place, they will know God's word is true, Jesus' word is true and they will take joy in that. Today it is the same. As we see the promises of Jesus and as we see them fulfilled in Jesus, listen, we should be overflowing with joy. As followers of Christ, we've seen it all the way through this study, we should be overflowing with joy. We should be existing joyfully in the world where we exist. We do not have to wait for something else. Let me tell you something. When I see sourpuss believers, and I, I mean not on a bad day, but, but, but that's their demeanor. Foul, mean believers. 
And, and, and don't point at anybody. Don't look around in here. I have to wonder what part are they not getting. I have to wonder that. Now, listen, we have bad days. There's, there's things that are tough. But I have to wonder if that is the demeanor of a follower of Christ, a person that says they are, what part are they not getting? Listen, we have good news. We preach good news. We have a risen Savior. We are forgiven in Christ. We are so loved. We ought to be overflowing with joy. That's the truth. That is his plan. Somebody just got mad about that. <laughs> He's talking about me. Verse 14, going on. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus says, Believers are not of this world. Now, what that means is, that means we do not have a worldly orientation. That's what it means. We, we, we are not to be worldly as believers. In fact, we're to be so different from the world that the world hates us. Just like the world hated Jesus, the world should hate us. As they see that we're tied to Jesus, they ought to hate us. That's what he says. If we are like Jesus. Now, I want you to see this, and this is the big point today. And the dividing line is the word of God. The dividing line is the word of God. Jesus prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. I want you to notice that is one sentence I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. You see, the truth is this. The word of God reveals the world. The word of God exposes the world. It's like a light that shines in on it. And the word of God reveals the world's emptiness. You see, the world tries to act like, man, it's got it going on and all the good things and, and it shows all these things, but the word of God shows that the world is empty. The word of God shows the world is hopeless. It reveals its hopelessness. People think, well, we'll get this and we'll do that and this will happen. And they get there and there's nothing to it. The word of God reveals the world's hopelessness. It reveals its falseness. It reveals its failure to produce any answers. Have you noticed that? The world has no answers to give us. The word shows the world for what it truly is. It reveals the world. And so guess what? So the world hates it. The world hates it. Folks, I said this the other day, and I don't, I don't know what day it was, but I, I said this the other day, and, I, and I, I believe it. Listen to this. If you decide to take up the word of God in your life, if you decide, you know what, this is the word of God and it's the best way to live and our God is gracious and he is infinite in wisdom and you decide to take up the word of God in your life and you decide to actually live by it, we're going to start to structure our lives accordingly. Some of your family is going to turn on you. Some of your friends are going to turn on you. You may find out you have no friends. You take up the word of God and the world will 
hate you. you. You think I'm joking? Try it and see. So let's get out of the world. Not so fast, verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Why not? But to keep them from the evil one. Jesus says, he prays to the Father, I do not ask, I do not pray for you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus says, I do not pray for you to take them out of the world. We're going to see the reason why in a moment. But he does ask, he does pray that we will be kept, disciples will be kept from the evil one. I want you to be sure of this. The devil, Satan, now listen, cannot steal your salvation. It is settled in Christ, fixed in Christ, held in the power of Christ. He cannot steal your salvation. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians says that. You're secure in the power of God. He cannot steal your salvation. Let me tell you something else. Satan, the devil, cannot possess a believer. I heard somebody this week saying some nonsense about that. A believer cannot be possessed by a demon, by Satan. You're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But here's what the evil one can do. He can set traps for you, snares for you. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe, maybe it's something else. He can set traps for you that you might come along and fall into it. He can lead you into sin. He can lead you into temptation. He can ruin your witness in that sin. He can steal your joy. What Christ has promised, what Christ's plans includes, he can steal your joy. He can silence you. Do you know that's his goal? His goal is that he'd silence you. And you may have all the good reasons, but if your mouth is shut, Satan is one. He can distract you. He can lead you away from the word of God. He can lead you into mistruth. He can take you out of the cause of Christ if you'll let him do it. Here's this, listen to me. Satan wants you to fail as a believer of Jesus Christ. He can't, he can't impact your eternity, it's sad. But I want to tell you, he wants you, he's that specific, and I'm talking about you. He wants you to fail as a believer. You get no pass. There's no people that are just going to Cadillac through life and have a pass. You have no pass. Satan wants you to fail as a believer of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus prays, keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Again, it is a statement of truth. It is a statement of fact. A believer's orientation is not of the world. Believers are not worldly. Even as Jesus, that's what it says, the same as Jesus is not of the world. Now listen, we are, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are led by the word of God. The world is not. We are filled with the spirit of God. We are on the mission of God. Disciples are not of the world. That's two times he said it just in these verses. That is pretty plain. 
Disciples are not of the world. Today the world lies and our flesh lies and says we can have both. We can operate in both. You can operate in Christ and you can operate in the world. And that's what the lie of the world is. You know what? Let's, let's make sure you're going to heaven. Let's make sure you proclaim faith in Christ, but then let's live like the world. Let's take up the world's priorities. The world says you can have both. Many are trying today. It is not possible. It says again, they are not of the world. They have a different orientation. All right, here's a key verse, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Let me read that again. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now stay with me this morning. We are not of the world. The world sees it and hates us. And the difference is the word. Remember verse 14, I gave them your word. And when I gave them your word, the world has hated them. We are not of the world. The world sees it and hates it. And the difference is the word of God. Now, how does that happen? We are sanctified. Here's what Jesus prays. We are sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, stay with me. We're going to go to this. So therefore, we are sanctified in the word of God. Do you see that progression? We are sanctified in the word of God. Now, the word sanctified, here's what it means. It has a pretty complex definition. In the original language, the word sanctified means set apart as special, made special. It means to make holy. Holy means set apart. It means to separate from things profane. Another definition, to dedicate to God. Another definition says to cleanse or to reform, to change to truth. And so see this this morning. We are not of the world, and what sets us apart from the world, what makes us not like the world, what separates us from worldly things is the word of God. Now that is huge. He gave them the word, verse 14, the world hated them. Why? It's because the word changes us. It's because the word changes us. Friends, I want you to see that. And I want us to go home today and I want us to be sure of this. I want us to know this as a fact. See that. We are saved. And as saved people, God leaves us in the world. Again, we're going to see why in a minute. But as we are in the world, and as we are in the Word, we are being reformed from the profane things of the world. It is a process, and sometimes it is fast, and sometimes it is slow. But as, as we are in the Word of God, we start to see that our trust is not in the world because we see it is a sham. We see our faith is not in the world because we see it will falter. We will see our value is not in the world because we see it is vain, it is empty. We see our security is not in the world 
because the world's security fades. We see our priorities are not worldly because we see they will not produce. And we seeing those things are changing piece by piece. We are becoming less like the world and we are becoming more like Jesus. Listen, we are set apart. We are made special. We are made not like the world by time spent in the word of God. And as we spend time in the word of God, our worldliness, our worldly cravings become less and less. And so the first thing is this, the truth changes us. The truth changes us. God's plan is that we be changed by the truth. What's God's plan for us in the world? It's that we would become less and less like the world and more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. The truth changes us. That is the first part of the plan. I'm going to keep going. Hold up. No, I'm not. Hold up a second. Doesn't that sound good to you? Doesn't that sound attractive to you? Listen, doesn't that sound attractive to you? Less like the world, less like the world. The world has trouble and the world has drama and the world has chaos and the world is crazy and the world is jealous and the world's full of backstabbers. Doesn't it sound good to you to be less like this sorry world and more like Jesus? Well, time in God's words, what does that? Well, isn't there a prayer? Isn't there a pill? Isn't there a, a, a service? Time spent in God's word is what makes us less like this world and more like Jesus. I don't know if you've heard this, but we're spending 100 days moving to the gospel of John. I don't know if you've heard this, but there are 21 days left. Time spent in the word of God will change you more like Christ. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to keep going. The truth does something to us. It changes us. Now the second part of God's plan for us in the world is this. We're to do something with the truth. The truth changes us, first part. Second part we are to do something with the truth. Verse 18. As you, listen to this prayer, as you sent me, as the Father sent Jesus into the world, I also have sent them into the world, the disciples. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now remember verse 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Well, verse 18, not only does he not ask that he takes them out of the world, he actually sends them in to the world. He says, I have sent them into the world. Now I want you to hear me. It means we have a God-given purpose for existing in the world. Do you hear that? We have a God-given purpose for existing in the world. We exist in the world again, not to play out some random existence. No, God has placed and he sent disciples into the world for a purpose and for a reason. And that reason is centered on the truth. 
Verse 18 starts off and it says, as you sent me, as you sent me, Jesus, into the world. Here's what Jesus says, for the same reason, in the same way, I have sent them. Why did the Father send the Son? Was it to give a bunch of moral teaching? Is that why he sent him? Is that we would build great churches to the honor of him? Is that why he sent him? Is that we would make people comfortable in a hard world? Is that why he sent him? No, he was sent by his own words to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19, 10, he was sent by the Father on a redemptive mission. He was sent as the good news so the world would have good news and through the receiving of that good news, they would be saved. Be sure tonight, today, we are sent possessing good news to proclaim good news so that through that good news, the world would be saved today. We also have a redemptive mission. You have a redemptive mission. You have a God-given purpose. Here's, here's the, the crazy thing. We've made some people feel like they do. Maybe the, the, these folks that are big in the church or some pastor or some deacon or something like that. And we've made others feel like you do not. I want to tell you the truth is this. If you've trusted Jesus Christ... You have a redemptive mission. You have a God-given purpose, and it is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, it may not be in a pulpit like this. It may be, but it may be at the gas station. It may be at your desk at work. It may be somewhere in the field. You have a redemptive mission as a follower of Jesus Christ, and it is to proclaim the good news of Jesus And so what is our relationship with the world? Here we go. We are not of it. It is not our orientation. We are to be changing to be less like it. And at the same time, we are placed in it deliberately to carry the truth to the world that God so loves. Do you see both of those are wrapped up in the truth? We're changed in the truth. Our mission is to tell folks the truth. Verse 19, verse 19 is a great verse. Jesus prays, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. What is that? That they themselves also might be sanctified in the truth. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Here's what that means. Jesus is setting himself apart through his death and resurrection. That's what he's talking about. That through his death and resurrection, we might be sanctified in the truth. You see, our sanctification happens because of his sanctification, his death, burial, and resurrection. Sanctified means, one of the definitions, made special. Made special. By the work of Christ and by faith in Jesus and by the word of truth, we are made special. Special unlike the world, special to serve that world. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you've been made special. 
You're special to not be like this world, but you're special to carry the message of truth to this world. Friends, I want to end by saying this. God loves you. God loves you, and he has called you not to just exist. He's called you not to just endure. He's called you not to just get by. He has called you to be special. And the first way is by faith in him, by trusting him for your salvation. He's called you out of the sin of this world. He's called you out of your own sin. He's called you to receive him by faith. He's called you to be set aside special by faith in him, by trusting him, by turning to him for your salvation. And the second thing, he's called us to be special in his service. Each of us proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. You are meant, called to be special. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and I'm thankful for your truth. And I'm thankful for your love. And I'm thankful for your grace. And I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sin. I'm thankful for hope. I'm thankful that you call us to be special. That if we'll trust you, you'll forgive us, you'll redeem us, you'll restore us. Lord, as we've trusted you, that you call us to be special, not like this world, but to bring the good news to this world. Help us in that. Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful. Lord, I pray that we would be deliberate as you are, as you are. I pray, Lord, that in all of these things, in the response to both of these things, that we'd bring glory to your name. Lord, we tell you on this day, we love you, we worship you, we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what these hundred messages are about. That's what this gospel is about. That's what this entire book is about. It's about you trusting Jesus for your salvation. The Bible says we're sinners. All of us are sinners. The Bible says in our sin, we've earned a punishment. All of us. The Bible says that punishment is death. and We'll pay it. We've earned it. We'll pay it. The Bible says God loves us so much. He sees our helplessness in our sin. He sees our condition in our sin. And in great, unimaginable love, he sends his only begotten son. He comes, he lives a life, he never sins, that he could go in your place, that he could die in your stead, paying the penalty for your sin, mine as well. That's what he does 2,000 years ago. He comes, he's born, he lives a life, he never sins, not one time. He goes to the cross, and my sin, your sin, is placed upon him. The Bible says he even becomes that sin. As the payment for sin, he's nailed to the cross. He dies. God's wrath towards sin is poured out on him, settled in him. He pays for it in his blood. He pays for it in his death. He's dead, actually, literally, physically dead. He's placed in a grave. Three days later, the good news of our gospel is he doesn't stay in that grave. He walks out of that grave. He stands as the risen Savior, the Lamb of God. The penalty's paid. He now stands in life holding the receipt. It has been received. The Bible says by faith in him, by trusting him as the remedy for our sin, we are saved. Not of, not of good works, not of church membership, not of something to do, not of baptism, but in trusting Jesus, we are saved. Let me tell you what happens. When that happens, we're forgiven of our sin. We're forgiven of our sin. Sometimes I, I, I say that so quickly it becomes numb to us. The guilt of our sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. I don't know what your sin looks like. I know what mine is. 
We're forgiven of our sin in Jesus. Praise the Lord. We're restored in our relationship with God because of Jesus. We have hope that is settled not in us or anything we would ever do, but it's settled in Jesus. My call today is this, turn to him. Trust him today. He'll save you today. If you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism, the Bible always tells us in the New Testament, it's by immersion. It's always after a person's saved, not before, not as a part of it. If you're here and you'd say, you know what, I, I've received Christ, maybe today, maybe, maybe sometime previous, maybe sometime further back, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism. You come as well. We'll set a day to be a great day of celebration, testifying to what we believe of Jesus. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll serve for his name's sake, his glory, till he comes again. Maybe you want to come on this Sunday morning and pray at an altar. We're not in a hurry to get anywhere. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe we don't know what issue you're facing today, this week. You, you come as well. Nothing's too big, nothing's too small. If God has spoken to you, we're going we're gonna to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, you step out and you come on. If you have a decision to make, you step out, you come on. I'll meet you here. So we stand and sing, you come on.